Hi, this is Pastor Frank. I just want to welcome you to this Bible study. In this particular episode, I'm going to be dealing with Genesis chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. So let me just read this so that we can know what we're talking about. Then Lamech took himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zelah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zelah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. Now in Genesis chapter 4, kind of as a, an overall, I'm not going to cover everything in Genesis chapter 4, but if you read it and you know your Genesis, you know your, you know your chapters and how this all comes together as a narrative, you're going to see that the progression of Adam and Eve um, being told to leave uh, the Garden of Eden by God and was to go out and to work uh, by the sweat of his brow and she would bear children by pain. So one of the things that um, we have to understand that this is a fallen world now. This is a world that where sin has not yet fully manifested. This is in its infantile stage. And as we see, the very first murder was by Cain. This was Adam and Eve's son. Now, it is said that Cain and Abel were possibly twins. I don't know. But Cain obviously was not a good guy. He obviously was evil, given how we see the way of Cain and we read it as we read in the New Testament. Some of the basic sin aspects of a man's heart and the carnal flesh of man, jealousy, rebellion, and these things start to fester, and then they come to fruition. And here, with Cain and Abel, Cain kills, he murders his brother Abel. Why? It's because when he gave a sacrifice to God, it wasn't pleasing to God. Now, that's a whole nother Bible study all in itself. But here, as we continue to read in uh, Genesis chapter 4, you could see that this is the very last person that God speaks to, is Cain. He actually has a dialogue with him. Just as God had a dialogue with his parents, Adam and Eve, when they were in sin and they were trying to hide from him, he basically asked him the questions that they already knew. But God, in his wisdom, is letting Adam and Eve say their own sin. And in here, in verse 9 of chapter 4, God does the exact same thing to Cain. God knows the answer. He knows where Abel is. He knows what just happened to Abel. He's seen the whole thing. But he's asking Cain, where is your brother Abel? And sarcastically, Cain says, I'm not my brother's keeper. This attitude is resident in the carnal heart of man. So the very first sin that was born inside of Cain's heart, the carnal thoughts, the carnal heart of Cain, didn't understand why God had respect for Abel's offering. He took it on his own without even asking God, why do you favor his over mine? He never asked that. Instead, he got angry. And then God even asked him, why are you so angry? God knows why he's angry. God knows why his countenance was fallen. And I'm giving you a profile of Cain just so that you could see for yourself exactly where the heart and mind of Cain is. This profile is very, very important to understand the rest of the narrative as the chapters coming like 5, 6, and 7. You, you can see that as it continues to go all the way through the whole book of Genesis, this is a very, very important character profile of Cain. 
because he comes up again and again throughout the whole Bible and also in the New Testament and teachings of, of the apostles. Now Cain, for some reason, agreed with his own attitude, and he continued in it. It was the way of Cain. So there's a lot of attitudes are the way of Cain. God continues to dialogue with Cain and says, what have you done? He wants him to answer. He wants him to give, he, this is God's grace and mercy, giving him an opportunity to confess his sins, to be able to say, this is what I've done. I'm repenting. I need your forgiveness. How can this happen? That Cain didn't even bother to even ask these questions. Some say he might have been ignorant of this. No, I disagree. Only because his parents had the biggest and first blunder and which set man on this path to begin with. They are the best learners of this lesson. And I'm almost 110% positive that they taught this to Cain and Abel. In order to rebel against something, it would have to be something to rebel against. So obviously he knew. I'm almost sure that that was a bedtime story for them as children. So through this dialogue, the conclusion is is that he, Cain, is a fugitive and a vagabond. And this is his status on the earth. And then Cain said, this punishment is greater than I can bear. Well, as we know that God does not give us more than we can bear. To me, what Cain is saying is I can't handle the truth. The truth of the matter is that Cain realized that God was going to expel him. Cain knows that he will no longer have the protection of God. Because he realizes that he has had it. He realizes that God was there for them. Now he knows that this is his status and that whoever finds him will kill him in revenge. So you want to talk about revenge in his mind. I don't know if it's paranoia. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I do know that he is all about revenge. He is obviously teaching. He's giving up his persona, his motives, his mind, his way of thinking, all here in scripture, just by the words he's saying and the dialogue he's having with God. And God is revealing this to him so that he, that the scriptures, as we read it now, we could actually see what this means and what it is, the profile of Cain. And then it says, the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So to some degree, we read here, God is making some kind of proclamation or an announcement. So a biblical definition of a revenge is retribution or repayment. So from the Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, it says, An injured party desires for retribution or payment for those who are harmed him or to demonstrate his innocence against false accusation." Vengeance demonstrates God's righteousness in compensating the wrong with right. So later, I believe as I'm reading scripture and I did some study, I believe that this type of behavior comes, but I think it's Cain's version or the people in Cain's lineage has somehow perverted this vengeance aspect, this meaning, and has twisted it somehow. But we'll find out as we study scripture. If I understood it correctly, that's exactly what I believe I read. So now we get to Genesis chapter 4.16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Now, interestingly, to the east of Eden is where the Sumer or the Sumerian civilization began. 
It says here, in the land of Nod. So when Cain went out of the presence of the Lord, I don't think that means that he went out from under God's sight. I think that what it means is that he no longer wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. So if you're in the presence of the Lord, you're going to feel conviction. But going outside of you actually, we do it today. We go outside of the presence of the Lord. We run from righteousness. We run from what is good. We go to what is evil, what is bad, what is carnal. So he left the presence of the Lord on his own. I don't want to be around this. I want to I want to go someplace else, take my problems with me, and maybe I'll have a new start. But as we know, that doesn't work either. So at this point, Cain is a wanderer. And there is a curse, you know, on him. So in order to go outside of the presence of God, he's basically avoiding any kind of punishment that he wants to hand down to him, correct his actions, and he says, sin's crouching at your door, so he doesn't want any of that. I'm not, he's like, I'm, I'm done with this, I don't need I don't need this. I'm going to live my own life, I'm going to do it my way. So Cain, he settles down and decides to establish a city and builds the city and names it after his son, Enoch. Now, just for reference, Enoch is a very common name at this time. So when you hear the name Enoch, it's not the Enoch. There's many Enochs. So Cain being the person that he is, rebellious, a murderer, not wanting to correct, self-correct, not wanting to hear truth, not wanting to have anything to do with God, not having, he just wants to be on his own by himself. I want to do my own thing, create what I want to create. So the society that he creates in the city that he built obviously had become just like him, evil and depraved. Now verse 18 reads, To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mahaliel, and Mahaliel begat Methuselah, and Methuselah begat Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zelah. And Ada bore Jabel. And he was the father of those who dwell in the tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jabel, or Jubal, and he was the father of those who play the harp, the flute. And as for Zelah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. So now that we've come full circle and you could see where how this narrative goes, and this is how you're supposed to read the Bible, you're supposed to read it in a narrative form. So let's break this down. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zelah. So let's stop there. The fact that Lamech had took two wives is polygamy. Now, I know there's no prohibition at the time, because the law wasn't given until the time of Moses. But here you could see that the example that Cain had was his mother and his father, and that God had joined them together. So this was something that was related to God. It doesn't surprise me that the anti-God attitude continued in the line of Cain and in the way of Cain was to pervert and to turn around and to do the opposite of what God had said to do. And this is what we're going to see in the carnal nature of man as it blooms and blossoms through these scriptures and narrative. I want to do a, a timeline Let's see, on these men here in Genesis 4. So here it says that Cain went from the presence of the Lord and, and uh, to the north in the east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and then he bore Enoch, and he built a city called him 
called it Enoch. Enoch was born Irad, Mahaliel, and Methuselah, and Lamech. So I want to be able to do a, a time frame here in the genealogy of the of Genesis 4, 16 through 19. So there's people that are named here. It is Enoch, Irad, Mahaliel, Methuselah, and Lamech. So all of these people I just named are contemporaries of each other. They all lived such long lives. Lamech was alive in the time of Noah. Methuselah was in, alive until the time of Noah. Jared was alive in the time of Noah. Mahaliel was alive in the time of Noah. Canaan was alive at the time of Noah. And so was Enoch. So these people that I'm talking about are men of old. And these genealogies are important because they're in the Bible. This is the genealogy of Cain. And like I said, I gave you a good description profile of Cain and what this guy is all about. We can't really sit here and act ignorant and act like, you know, the line of Cain is like not a big deal. It is a big deal. These are these men that are evil. They're, they're They're the, they're not of God. They have went out of the presence of the Lord and then anything that Cain done or said or taught his family or his children or grandchildren, he taught him all of them all of them rebellion. It was just a tribe of people of of rebel. And I'm sure that he remembers and recounts his experience with God and say that's not the God that we want to serve because he's this, he's that. I'm sure that he's just down talking God and this is resident in the actions of these people. Now, given the fact that they have nothing to do with God, they don't want to believe in him. They have all the reasons that they how and why they don't want to believe in him, why they don't want to serve him, why they have nothing to do with him. They want to actually do things on their own that meets their needs, their desires, their dysfunction. So here you have the building blocks of technology. I mean, literally the building blocks, the very first of everything, what we know of today and how it's developed. I believe that these people were a lot closer uh, to um, perfection and they did not uh, need a lot uh, to be able to be satisfied because what, what did they know? They did know that they have, that life was hard already. The ground was cursed with thistles. Um, It didn't yield what it would normally yield. So they had to find a way outside of God's provision, outside of God's presence to be able to survive, to be able to create things and get things done and not wait on a God that wants you to be obedient because his blessings are far greater than what our hands could produce. But they didn't believe that. So here you have, now think of this generation. Okay, You have Cain and then he has Enoch. Okay, and then Enoch and then he has his son Irad, Irad, Mahaliel. So you have what? One, two, three, four people here, and then five. And then these generations, as they're going forward, then all of a sudden, they're like, you know what? This There's got to be something that's got to be done here. So these three sons, listen here. Jabel, the very first one, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and, and have livestock. So in other words, he either, and I'm going to go into the, in the next podcast because this is just an introduction to this. When it says here he's the father, he's the inventor, he is the one who basically is the one who thought this up is instead of living in a cave or living under a tree or, you know, where you're you're exposed to the elements and possibly 
wild animals and predators and is hard to protect, it'd be a lot easier and a lot more intelligent to live in something. So being Native American, I understand this because you see that Native Americans did the exact same thing. They used what they needed. They took from the land or from the animals. So either these tents were, number one, they were either leather, like like the, you'll see in some Native Americans have um, what they call teepees, and that's what they're called. But that's what they're known as. And so you have, this is uh, animal skin. Okay, that's that's one. that That's one possibility. The other possibility is because he dwelled, um, or they had livestock, which means they domesticated animals and they herded animals. So they could have herded easily. They could herd a bovine, some kind of a bovine, like a cow or something. Or they could uh, somehow, some way, herd sheep or goats. Now, think about that for a second. If you herd sheep, you have the wool, which you could easily make string or yarn. And then they could easily weave that. So there's, um, I'll go into that in part two. And then so here in uh, in the second brother, it says, and his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who played the harp and flute. So he is the one who basically is the inventor of music. So the harp is a stringed instrument, okay? And then the flute obviously is a pipe. So this is very interesting. And then the third brother, Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. So the, what this basically means is that, that the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, these guys were smelting iron. They were metallurgists. They were able to find a way to, to invent the furnace, pound out these hard metals and use them. Now, my mind went a million miles with this. Now, I'm going to get into that in part two of the technology in Genesis. There's a lot of people who try to, groups of people try to claim this technology, but the fact is it's telling us right here who these people were. It doesn't say the color. It doesn't say the ethnicity. It's just these are the very first people outside of the will of God, and I mean way outside of the presence of God. Now, here's one thing that I don't think a lot of people think about, the social aspect of the the polygamy family of Lamech's. So you have two wives. I don't know how he worked that out, but the fact is that he did. And who knows? I don't know if you ever knows what that is like to have. There's not a lot of people who experience uh, two women and married to one man. And the fact that you have kids from each of the women, you know, Who's better at this? And, you know, who do you love more? There's just, I could only imagine that the, the, the chaos that was all about. But if you have technolo- technology like this, a technological advancement like this, and then you're adding metal to it, okay, like I said, part two is going to be awesome. Now, here's something interesting as we move forward. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zila, hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man wounding me. Okay, look, now we have, see, let me stop there. I'm not even done with verse 33, 23. There's already murder. So right out the gate, three, four generations into, I'm sorry, about four generations into after Cain, all contemporaries of each other, contemporaries of Adam, contemporary of Eve, contemporary of, of Seth. These people are creating a very immoral and unethical 
violent society, very tribal, probably despotism, anarchy, who knows? But this is this is the beginning of this kind of people, this kind of society, this kind of government, where it is like the strong, you know, are the dominant, you know, um, I'll take what you're not strong enough to keep. So let me finish verse 23, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So there's a lot going on here. I'm not even going to go into that because I'm starting to lose my focus of what I'm trying to tell you here. The point is, is that I'm trying to get to a place where the technological aspect here that we're reading, these types of things that are moving forward and how these types of things get into the wrong hands. Technology gets into the wrong hands. Now, anything that is created, so let's just say, take a look here. The technological aspect of a living aspect of, of clothing, um, shelter, uh, residual food and stocks. These type of things that are, are very, very staple for a, an agronomist, or if that's a word, agronomy, a society of agronomy, is very important because this is how you sustain a larger group of people, not just yourself, but a family or families or a community. This is how this works. And then also the the entertainment aspect of it, because entertainment, it has a lot to do with music. Music, I believe, is spiritual. So this is interesting. And then Tubal Cain, and you add hard metal to it. So hard metal, you know, like say like a plow, you know, a, a shovel, you know, a pick or an axe. These types of things are very, very important to a society that needs, you know, not just for one person, but is for a family and for families and a community. These are important tools to be able to build things like this. And then having hundreds and hundreds of years behind them to develop these tools makes the masters at developing these types of things. So these men were not only inventors, but they were also the teachers. And they taught this as a residual knowledge to continue to, and each generation, I'm almost sure, makes it better and better and better until they master the art of smelting and metallurgy. Um, how to deal with livestock, how to deal with, um, you know, butchery, how to deal with, you know, different things that, that that this brings and how good they became at it. I truly believe that technology is is amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It is something like a hammer is by itself is a tool that could be used for many different things. It is what you use it for whose hands the hammer is in and what they do with it. That is a very important thing to do. Now, if we sit here and say, well, maybe it shouldn't have been invented in the first place. Well, we could say that for a lot of things, but in the right hands, we have built some of the most, the, the technology that we have, we have built some of the most incredible things that we have ever seen that has benefited mankind overall the wheel was invented and when it was invented it was you know it helped everybody not it okay so the the thing is that it helped people live longer can you imagine carrying something on your back that's heavy for years and then you eventually it breaks you down 
Or you could invent a wheel and put two of those wheels on a board, put your heavy stuff on there and drag it and the wheels roll. It's it's simple. You could you could see where I'm going with this. So it, it it prolonged life, it made heavy loads easier, it made things more effective. So it's the same thing with these inventions here. It really depends on whose hands went in. It was in. So if you think about the kind of people and how it came about, it came about because Cain did not want to rely on God for nothing at all. He just wanted to do his own thing. And out of that, the necessities of life, it brought him to, and his people, and the people his great-great-great-grandchildren to a place to invent these types of things because there was a need for it. So I want to wrap this introduction up. And and like I said, there's a lot more to go and there's so much more about what we can learn from these particular scriptures. And like I said, I don't want to get too focused on this alone, but because it is only one part to understand as we move forward into verse 25, which is the continuing after Cain had had killed Abel and Abel, and then the new son that Adam and Eve had was Seth. So I don't want to get into that yet, but these are some of the things that I think we need to look at from a a standpoint as, as believers is the reason why we see some of the progression of things that we don't understand. So if you're looking at, well, how did all this become? Why does the Bible say these things? I don't understand. The reason why we don't understand is because we don't read. We don't critically think about what the scriptures that we have for the last, what, 600 years. It's important to read the word. I can't say that enough. Read your Bible. This is how we're able to know things. This is how we're able to figure things out. There, like I said, there's a lot of people out there and groups out there that are saying contrary to what the scripture says and creating their own narrative. The Bible has a narrative. And the more you read it, the more it becomes apparent. This is just a story, a narrative, so that you can reference this later on. So if you're, uh, you read the whole Bible, if you read the whole Bible, a lot of the references in the New Testament come back to what we're reading now. The beginning. Genesis. This is what it all comes back to. Understanding the book of Genesis will help you understand the rest of the Bible. That is a a, a fact of theological study. Okay, I'm going to tie this up. This is Pastor Frank. I hope that somehow, some way, that this piqued your interest. And hopefully you look for the second one of technology in Genesis. All right, this is Pastor Frank. God bless.